In today's episode of Life 66, we come to Revelation chapter 12, the woman, the dragon, and the child. Dynamic picture of war in heaven and war on earth, but the overcoming power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is Pastor Greg, and this is Life 66. Uh, Before we dive in today, uh, it's been quite a while since uh, I've recorded um, any teaching on on this podcast. Uh, last six months or so, I've been uh, uh, just very busy with travel and ministry and other things, but uh, we're back in action now, so you can count on getting more episodes on a regular basis. So let's dive in here to, to uh, chapter 12 of the Revelation. It's There's got so much in it that I want to read the entire chapter for you. Uh, let's take the time. I think it's valuable for us to do that. And then we're going to look, going to look at the three main figures, three scenes, and then three decisions that are necessary after reading this chapter. So chapter 12 of the Revelation reads this way. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth and his angels with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Dynamic passage. Let's look at the three main figures here. First is the woman. The woman is the most difficult character to figure out out of the three main characters in this chapter. She is the first sign that appears in heaven that John records. I believe that she represents two communities. First, she represents the true Israel because it is out of this lineage that the Messiah is born, the child that will be taken, uh, that we will be talking about. Second, Uh, She may represent the believing community, those 
uh, who have been redeemed through the blood of Christ. Uh, John notices four distinct things about this woman. She's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head, and that she was pregnant. Let's pay attention to these uh, three cosmic symbols that cover her from head to toe. First, she's clothed with the sun, which immediately represents the glory and brilliance of her Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Secondly, the moon is under her feet, signifying that she is a permanent, uh, that she is as permanent as the moon, as Psalm 89.32 states, it will be established forever like the moon. And third, she's wearing a crown of 12 stars on her head, which depicts her elect identity similar to the 12 chosen tribes of Israel. Here's what I think is interesting about these three cosmic symbols. First, the sun represents a true light, Jesus Christ. The woman is clothed with the brilliant and glorious light of Christ. Second, the moon never produces its own light. It is merely a reflection of the light. And third, in the presence of the sun, the stars are not even visible. Just go outside and take a look. Do you notice how Christ himself overshadows everything? Like the sun overshadows everything when it's at its brightest? John 8, 12 states that Jesus is the light of the world. Now it becomes important that we recognize that we are a part of the woman because Matthew 5, 14 says that we are the light of the world, a reflection of the one true light, just like the woman is. You and I are clothed with the sun, with the moon under our feet, and with the crown of 12 stars because you and I have been chosen to be a reflection of his light. Next is the child. The woman gives birth to a child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And this is a clear reference to Christ because in Psalm 2.9, it states that you will rule them with an iron scepter. This rod of iron gives us a visual of Christ's reign. First, that he rules as a shepherd with all the love and care of a shepherding or a shepherd guiding his flock. Second, it shows the strength of his rule. He is certainly not messing around, but, is the, but he's the one that's in control. Again and again, we receive the picture of the loving father who cares and loves and protects, but who also must discipline and rebuke. This child also signifies his people, all those redeemed in Christ. Remember back to Revelation 2, 26, where it says, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Just as the woman symbolizes the people of God, so the symbolic man-child is fulfilled not only in Christ himself, but in all who believe on his saving name and who, therefore, are in Christ. The third character is the dragon, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. We have a great adversary, and we have to realize that the enemy is powerful, crafty, and corrupt to the bone. If you remember the seven, number seven represents completion. And so we see here the completion of evil. His seven heads represent universal authority. Uh, not authority in heaven, of course, uh, but he's been given the title, the prince of the power of the air, that he does have authority here on earth. Second uh, Corinthians 4.4 4 says that he is the God of this age. And recognize that with a simple swipe of his tail, a third of the stars tumble to earth. Now, there's some, some debate here of, of what these stars are. are they, the literal stars, is it symbolic? Uh, some think that the stars represent the angels and that um, when Satan is cast down, that we have a third of the fallen angels that follow him uh, come along with him. Of course, there's, uh, I don't think that there is an absolute way to say uh, this in a, in a uh, dogmatic way, 
Um, but I think it's powerful to understand that um, with the dragon uh, goes authority and power. Uh, the book of Jude even says, don't, don't malign uh, Satan. Uh, treat him with the respect, but realize that we have more power in Christ than Satan has. Uh, there's three scenes now. We've seen the three characters. Now there's three scenes. First, there's the birth of the child, uh, verse one through six. We've already discovered who the woman is, but she's in labor. And uh, the dragon is poised to destroy the child at the very moment he is born. And this has, in, uh, in fact, been the unsuccessful plan of Satan from the very beginning to frustrate the work of Christ. Satan quickly gained control of Eve, and then God pronounced his destruction. And since then, he's continually tried to destroy the lineage of Christ. I mean, think back, uh, Cain killing Abel, um, the demonic uh, activity before the flood, uh, Abraham and Sarah uh, unable to have a child until God intervenes, a Pharaoh trying to destroy um, the, the babies as Moses um, is born, uh, Saul's constant pursuing of David, Haman trying to kill the Jews at the time of Esther, a Herod trying to uh, uh, destroy Jesus at his birth. Uh, on and on and on we could go about the destruction efforts of Satan to destroy God's, uh, uh, the, the, just Christ's work and, and Christ's um, influence on the world. And we can look even to more modern times with the Holocaust and, and so on. Um, there's just a powerful, powerful resistance uh, to, to God and the work of God uh, in the spirit realm. Uh, but God is always there to constrain. He's always there to intervene, and there's always victory. Even though there might be pain, there might be you know, tremendous heartache, uh, like the babies being murdered in Matthew chapter 2 uh, or the Holocaust. Um, but God's purposes always prevail. Never once has this great dragon thwarted the plans of God. And in the second half of the verse five, it proves again, and her child was snatched away up to God and to his throne. The messianic child comes, finishes mission, and then is delivered uh, from Satan's power. The next scene is the expulsion of the dragon. And this one is just classic. Uh, the scene turns from the woman and the child to the dragon and his position in heaven. Remember that the dragon uh, or Satan has has access to, to, to God in heaven. There's conversation. Remember the book of Job, where God and Satan have a conversation about Job, or in uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 3, where God has this conversation rebuking or accusing um, the, the prophet Joshua, or the priest Joshua, as he stands before the Lord. Um, that there's, Satan has access, but not forever. And at this time in Revelation 12, um, there's battle in heaven. And Michael the archangel is released to expel Satan from heaven. Uh, you get a picture of this battle as you read the passages. Uh, Michael uh, comes against Satan. The angels and demons are fighting back or fighting against one another. Uh, but Satan is not strong enough. And it's important to understand that it's not God who's fighting here. It's one of the angels fighting against Satan. God can speak a word and Satan is destroyed. And he'll do that in the end when he uh, calls him, uh, commands him to go into the abyss. Uh, the, the truth is Satan is not strong enough and he loses his place in heaven and he's hurled down uh, 
that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And those titles are powerful as we look at them. In one sentence, uh, John describes Satan or the dragon in such vivid ways. He is called the ancient serpent, the one who overtook Eve. He's the great dragon of Revelation. He is Satan who tested Job, and he's the devil who tempted Christ. He is the one who leads the world astray. It's important to realize that the devil doesn't have omnipotence, not omniscience. He doesn't have um, sovereignty. Um, he's not uh, all-knowing. Um, he, is, he is a created being, and his power lies in his deception. It's important to us to understand, to be able to, to see the falsehood in the world and see who's behind the false so that we can lay hold of what is true. Uh, all the faiths of the world th- that are not uh, centered on Jesus are lies. They're distracting, deceptive lies that this dragon uh, has, has been able to cunningly deceive people with. Uh, just like he did back in Genesis 3 when he told Eve, did God really say? He's been deceiving then and he's deceiving now. And we need to pay attention to the lies that, that we hear in our own heads about our own unworthiness or our, our uh, maybe we feel we're unloved or we feel that we're, we're a disappointment or we feel that um, we've just sinned too much. All those lies, just like he told the, uh, the woman at the beginning. Well, this great dragon is hurled down, this ancient serpent, and all of his uh, fallen angels with him. And, uh, and it's, they're done. And you would think that there's this sigh of relief that would come over the world, but there's actually a warning that says, now the devil is ticked and he is coming to attack those that God loves. But a voice proclaims, now have come the salvation, the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Once again, the dragon's plans have been thwarted and there is... um, the next step in the great drama of the end times has happened. Uh, for thousands of years, he's been permitted in the heavenlies to accuse the saints, to point the finger, uh, but God always rebuffs those lies, and finally, he loses his place in heaven, but he takes up residence then on the earth. It says, Rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. I love that. The devil knows his future. He knows his time is short. Now, it's true that because he knows that, he's going to come with great power, great deception, and great heartache and bloodshed. We're going to read about that uh, next time in chapter 13 and 14. Um, But we need to beware and to make sure we are close with our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last scene there says, the dragon's attack on the woman and her, chil- and her children, verse 13 to 17. Um, in these verses, the dragon is hurled down uh, and he's hunting the woman, nation of Israel, God's people. Um, Satan mounts a fierce campaign against the woman. However, each time it seems as though he's about to get her, God prevails and intervenes and he's not able to, to wipe out the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is God's chosen people and the Lord is going to redeem them. So now we conclude with three decisions. What do we need to walk away from this great drama we see in chapter 12? We've learned about the dragon. We've learned about the woman, uh, the nation of Israel, God's people. 
Uh, we've learned about the, the child, Jesus himself. Um, and we had to realize that God's desire is that none would perish. Satan wishes that all will perish. And as the church, we need to be prepared. I feel especially that as the American church, that we're not remotely prepared for persecution and for the struggle that's ahead. We're very comfortable and we need to be ready that there will be testing times in our future. Not being prepared is like sending, you know, a group of of middle school children into, you know, World War III. Uh, they're just not ready. They're ready to take a break and get some Kool-Aid right in the middle. And uh, we need to be ready to overcome. But praise God, we can. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. The decision to accept Jesus as our Savior is how we overcome Satan's anger and his persecution. God's first weapon is the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember our great enemy, that ancient serpent. His only weapon is to bring accusation against the saints. Well, the blood of the lamb wipes us clean. And we overcome because we can stand up against the devil's accusations. We can stand up when the devil accuses us. Jesus calls to God the Father and says, Father, they've been covered by my blood. They've been washed. Yes, they've made mistakes. Yes, they've done wrong things, but they're in me and I'm in them. They're on the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it, that, that the debt has been paid. And when Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, he meant it. There is no condemnation. So we overcome by Jesus' sacrifice. We also overcome by the word of our testimony, that it's not just what we believe, but it's our faith, what we do, that God's testimony in us, the confession of our mouth. Matthew 10, 32, 33 says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my father in heaven. It's a powerful passage. How do you overcome? By the blood of Jesus and by the word of our testimony, our profession of faith. Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that he's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the power. That is the power of our overcoming life and testimony. And that will overcome the devil. There's one last one though, that they will be willing to die for the sake of Christ. The blood of the lamb, the word of the testimony, and they did not shrink back even against death. Some of us may be living when these times occur the times of the revelation, and have to face this uh, immense pressure. But let me tell you, you will overcome. Matthew 14, 26 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciples. Well, that doesn't mean you literally hate them, but in comparison to your love for God, it's, it's, it's creating that, that, that dichotomy there that your, your love for God is, must be the most intense love. I wonder how many of us are willing to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, he saved me, but am I willing to die for that? Am I willing to give my life? He gave his life for us. Will we give our lives for him? For the truth? Truthfully, otherwise, we won't overcome. Because we will need to stand firm and stand firm against all the, the anger and onslaught of the devil. Heaven rejoices because of its saints. And I hope and pray that all of us will be 
overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and that we're looking forward to a life with Him. I hope you are. I hope you're ready to meet our Lord and Savior someday. And it's as simple as reaching out to Him and calling on His name. You can do that right now. Profess Jesus as Lord and profess His uh, overcoming power in your life. And when the day of trouble comes, you will stand. God bless you today. Sure good to be back with you. It's been too long. Uh, I look forward to more episodes and getting into Revelation 13. We'll see the first uh, mention of the beast, the beast of the sea, the beast of the earth, the Antichrist, the false prophet. You're not going to want to miss that one. God bless. Take care. This is Pastor Greg signing off. It's Life 66. Let's live it every day. Until next time. Bye-bye.